0: of the Retail Risk Podcast, sponsored by Alltag. And thanks, as always, to our supporting partner, Aura. Now, my guest this week is Lisa Bascott. Now, Lisa is a board director of the Safer Business Network, founder and CEO of Second Line of Defence, a frontline security agency. Lisa has also been a serving magistrate for 11 years and sits presiding justice in both the adult and youth courts in Sussex in the UK. Now, in October 2021, Lisa was one of seven newly appointed regional inclusion and diversity magistrates and representing the southeast of England contributing to a range of diversity work within the judiciary providing a source of good equality and diversity practice for colleagues now it goes on in 2023 Lisa was named one of the 100 most influential business women in the UK and the campaign highlights champions and celebrates 100 inspirational female entrepreneurs across the UK now also acts as an external advisor and critical friend to the British Transport Police on their police race action plan and initiatives around preventing violence against women and girls. And in June of 2023 became a board member of the National Security Skills Board, working alongside industry leaders to further professionalise the private security industry. And that is the abridged version. Lisa, welcome. Thank you very much. It does sound quite bonkers, doesn't it? Really, I do sleep sometimes. Well, I mean, before I get into the questions, how on earth did you even find time to speak to me today?
1: <laughs> no, it's 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 good stuff. It's all it's all part of what's driving me. Really, I, I kind of always have been this way. Um, I have taken a different different strain
0: this past year, but it's all good stuff. <laughs> Look, so before we get into all of those things, I want you to think back. To young Lisa growing up, staring out of the classroom window or whatever it might have been, what did you dream of doing? Because did you dream of this long list of things to achieve, or was there some other aspiration in uh, in, in young Lisa's mind?
1: It's it's really interesting. I I've got to go. I suppose everything for me is framed around um my parents, in particular. My mum. I've lost both my parents um, within the last decade, and they. My parents were Jamaican, and they both came to this country, obviously, to to better themselves. Um, part of that Windrush uh, generation, so I'm first generation Black British, and um, and they came with you know real aspirations essentially, and they worked hard. And my mum's mantra. It's a bit of a matriarch, my mum. Her mantra was always you can be literally you can be whatever you want to be but you need to put in the work you need to graft and you need to show people what you're you're worthy of no one let no one tell you that you can't do anything you know not me not your dad not anyone so it was it was it was a double-edged sword for me little young Lisa so on the one hand it was like yeah that's really amazing but the pressure that I felt as a young girl was immense I was bright as well really bright and so I think my parents saw in me this kind of you know their hopes and dreams and I get it right all into this little one bundle who also had a bit of a big mouth and was naughty and had a bit of an attitude but it made me who I was so I don't necessarily think I had a clear idea about what I wanted to do but what I knew for sure that whatever I was going to put my mind to it was going to be something of significance. It was going to mean something to my community and the people that mattered to me. I knew that uh, the life that I was leading was not just my life. It was about what I could do for my parents, making them proud, but also just generally being proud of me. So there was this strong sense of self, not obnoxious, not arrogance, but just, yeah, I I back myself, I rate myself. And also, I was that person in your class or in your year that would stupidly stand up to the school bully or the big mouth, right? And I would protect that person in the corner who was getting picked on, and I would show them kindness. And I would put myself between, you know, sometimes stupidly, between myself and the perpetrator. um, and, And I'd show balls, basically. And I've all, I think I've continued to do that sometimes. I've got myself into trouble. But more often than not, hopefully, I've garnered um, respect from people because, you know, I I treat people the way that I expect to be treated and I treat everyone with respect. So, yeah, that's me.
0: It's interesting, you're putting yourself and getting involved and, and like you say, respect, but um, but memorable as well. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you you, you, you must have become quite... Like sort of almost a sort of pseudo celebrity, uh, if you were all the one, because your personality is is really infectious and you're always smiling and there. And, you know, I mean, you, you, you must have been a nightmare to some people being because a lot of people don't like to be that happy, do they? Let's face it. <laughs> it's really funny
1: because I, I had a fantastic, you know, I had a really great time. I don't know if many people say that I absolutely love school I went to a school in Westminster called Pimlico and at the time in the sort of late 70s early 80s it was quite um you know it was quite, quite a new thing it was a massive comprehensive school looks like I mean it looked like a you know concrete jungle but what was really inspiring about the school and I think this is where my I think what my parents had you know taught me and then when I went to school, it was kind of compounded. It was a comprehensive school, but it was a school that basically took in people from all over London with mixed abilities. So in your class, you were sitting with children who had trust funds uh, with as well as people who were from the local council estate. It was the best school in London and continued to be the best school in London for the entire time that I was there. So you had middle-class people of wealth, um, who were sitting alongside and mixing with children that had, you know, never been on a plane before. But and you would think, that's bonkers. That's just not gonna work. It worked. And it it was really amazing to see this was my first introduction to community outside of fam- family and how it could work and what it meant to people. And what the, the you as one person that you could be inspirational and actually bring about real change by just being you, not following a crowd and recognising that your actions have consequences. And, and just, and I suppose it was, I suppose an introduction to leadership maybe in a way, right? Um, and it taught me some of the best parts of what I believe Um, I am today you know outside of what mum and dad taught me I I was shaped I was I was I was perfected if I if you like to in that environment because I was exposed to just about every type of background every race every you you name it I don't I you know I wager that there is not another person out there who went to a school quite like mine so I feel quite lucky that I came from that background before I went off um and and you know, pursued my my sort of you know academic stroke
0: professional life. and And, and there you go. There is the benefit of having schools with mixed uh, race, mixed ability, and, uh, and and I'll try not to get my soapbox about my disapproval of, uh, of, of narrowing schooling down and allowing people to put everybody with the same belief in the same school because you don't then leave with a different with a view of the world do you but anyway that's another another rant for another time so look great education um you. you, it's time to go out into the workplace um where did you start up so you've got all of this energy and enthusiasm who benefited or got scared by it in the first instance where (laughs) did you first go well the interesting
1: thing is that I was scared of my (laughs) mum, so she decided, uh, like most true true uh, West Indian parents, like you are going to be a better version, and you know than what we are. You know this is the whole point, and so in their minds, you know it was a profession. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be a whatever, a dentist. My mum decided that I was going to be a lawyer, and you know what? I wasn't too. You know, I thought, yeah that Sounds interesting, but I, I promise you it wasn't what I really wanted to do. I really wanted to go off and do an English degree, but I couldn't even get the word English out of my mouth. My mum was like, uh, 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 that's not happening. So off I went, I did a law degree and I absolutely loved it, right? It, it was an amazing discipline. And actually, every aspect of that degree I've used at some point in my life. So, you know, big tick to mum for that, but actually, I could have gone on and done that later down the line. But what happened is that uh, I was going to be a barrister. So I decided I was going to be that one. You can imagine the one in court talking because you know, with the lovely cape on and swinging my, strutting swinging my, my stuff about. But I decided that, you know, actually, it's about time you stood up to your mum and this is not really your calling. This is not what you want to do. So <laughs> I had the misfortune of having to tell my mother, uh, I'm not doing it. She didn't speak to me for about six months. She spoke in code via my dad. Mm -hmm. um, And I told her that I was going to go into publishing and it was actually legal publishing that I ended up going into. And she sort of did the publishing. She couldn't even get the words out. However, it was my calling. And I did incredibly well there. And I rose through the ranks. And I remember it was a time I was making, being made a sort of a vice president of this particular organization that I worked with. And I remember hearing it on the phone to all our mates going, oh yeah, and she's just done this. So I'd, I'd finally been forgiven. So I kind of, yeah, publishing was my thing. And then that moved into, and I kind of was watching, you know, cause I'm a a, real, a keen observer of what is happening around me. And I recognized very quickly, much more so than the publishing company that I was working for, that actually technology was going to outdate an awful lot of the stuff that they were doing. If they didn't move quickly enough, they were going to be obsolete. And I certainly wasn't going to be obsolete. You know, I'm current. So I was like, okay, and you tap on the door enough and they still don't listen. So I decided to move away from traditional publishing and I moved into online and this is where my horizon really sort of spread i ended up working for what is now reuters um and i looked after an area um which was to do with um research and i had clients all over the world and i in particular in north america and i spent you know 5 6 years traveling all over the world it's amazing and again learned loads about the industry that i worked in there and from there the natural move was from there into um you know television so i worked at itv for eight eight nine years and i really really i think i think i pulled together everything that i'd learned in in my professional life for this one role and it was really interesting because it's not too dissimilar to kind of what is happening the fragmented um sort of approach that happens in uh, the private security industry I worked for ITV, and at the time we were based in um, in Far- um, Road and Road, and ITV had been a PLC for I don't know, maybe less than ten years by the time I I joined. And what I quickly realised I was in a role that was um, aligned with the sales department. So I worked in Creative Solutions, and I headed up that. And my job was to add benefit to the sales propositions. They looked, they had clients who were agencies, they sold spot advertising into them, but I was the one and me and my team would give them sort of additional benefit for at no cost. We made loads of money out of it. So everybody loved me, you're everyone's best friend. And my role was a really, really amazing one, perfect for me in that I was able to go off. I had um, outreach to every single department in the whole organization. And what I quickly realized, you know, when I was trying to put together my first project was that they all hated each other because what we need to remember about ITV is that this was a regional organization with real (laughs) regional differences and they just didn't like each other. So just putting PLC at the end of the tag without doing your due diligence around how you're going to transform, you know, and bring about a transition to make it one company they just didn't think they had to do. Well, let me tell you, it was a painful process. I recognized at that point that I had a skill that they needed, but that I could catapult myself in the eyes of this organization in a very, very um, big way. And so I did. And I made myself the best friend of all these uh, different departments. And I slowly started to both within work And outside of work, bring those people together. So I was like, "Oh, John, that's so and so from production. John, come have a drink, come have a chat. Don't know why you don't talk to each other normally, but and that and so on and so forth." And it was the most amazing role that I have ever done, and I actually physically saw the industry change. And on the back of some of that, ITV basically had to go back to back to scratch, and then they came up with. What is now their e d and I mantra, which is one i t v which is what it wasn't in okay. the beginning, and which is what it became, so I was at the very beginning of that sort of transformational change process, and I took that process, I took that learning with me. I didn't know when I was gonna need to use it again, but I just knew that was such an instrumental part of my journey, and all the learnings, good, bad, and indifferent, I knew I was gonna need, and you know uh one day, so that that was great. And from there, I worked for, after that, I worked for a German advertising company. So I was based in mm-hmm. London, but I would travel to Berlin, you know, sort of Monday to Thursday. And that was fascinating. Okay. Absolutely fascinating. They were a mobile advertising company and that was brilliant. But that was, you know, with two young children, um, it, it was it was tricky. Mm-hmm. And then very hot on the heels of that came divorce, right? <laughs> which, which, you know, which changed the course of my life. Mm-hmm. It forced me. To reevaluate everything that I took for granted. What is important, what's not important, what is the focus? I'm now a single mum, you know, my point of reference, you know, you know, not a married woman anymore. Still a, how am I going to own this? And it's not often that we get a chance to look at ourselves in the mirror and actually dictate our future. And that's what I decided. it was painful, don't you know? It was not easy. But what I decided that there were three things that were really important, my two children, my world, first and foremost, I needed to protect them. I needed to spend more time with them. I'd spent, you know, a 10 years basically seeing them for five minutes in the morning and seeing them for five minutes before they went to bed. I just didn't want that. So I wanted to go on school trips with them. I wanted to be in a classroom with them with the working with the teaching assistant. And I just needed to be there for them. And the second is that I needed to be challenged professionally in my work. Um, and I needed to be do something that was meaningful in some way and then the third um what was the third one I can't even remember what the third one there was another third one anyway but I did that I gave up my job in advertising I loved property development which I'd been doing for years on and on in the background I decided I was going to just go I'm off I'm going to do it um and And I also kind of wanted to properly give myself to the magistracy, which, sorry, that was the third thing, which was, you know, I am relevant and I am current now. So I want to give that organisation, and I've known that I've wanted to be a magistrate since I was 19, that once I got there, that they had me for life, essentially, and that I wanted to do as much as I could to affect the lives of the people coming through those courtrooms. And even if it meant just one person, that was that would be enough for me so that would that was my focus and becoming self employed was a way in which i gave myself the freedom and the f- agility and the flexibility to do all those things so that's what i did um, and that's what i was poddling along yeah. doing until 2021 and but, then it, my life changed <laughs> but,
0: but, but and you and i'll ask you but to to go you know if you like you know the down the path into law Barrister, then make a switch and go to the top of that, move across. You know, basically, you know, we'll, we'll credit you with turning ITV around in that period of time where it became the one ITV. Then, you know, the personal challenges, the property development. I mean, all of these things you've kind of, you know, I don't quite like succeeded at. So it's just change, tick, change, tick. You know, so it's very, very impressive to go all the way through. And then, 2021? Yeah, uh, uh, you know, the worst of
1: worst happened, but I don't know, I suppose it was an an awakening. And I've said, I've had this conversation with my closest friends time and time again, and I think, I think I've got it now. And everyone says, why that time? Why that thing? Why now? You know, that was back in 2021. And I think the sort of, my worlds collided, So Sarah Everard was murdered in my hometown of Clapham. You know, I grew up having the best of experiences there. By now I've been a magistrate of, you know, nine, nearly 10 years. The perpetrator was a police officer. I'm there upholding the rule of law. This person is in a position of power and, you know, abused it in every unimaginable ways. And also as a woman, I was just in a rage about why still things like this were happening to women and vulnerable people, and it just it went basically, and I remember just being really angry. And then I saw the Met Police's response to the vigil and Capital, command, and that literally flipped the switch for me. And I was in a rage, and I just felt compelled. I knew, it's just like in my future life, that that thread going through me was just like. I'm not one to stand around and watch and complain if I see injustice, if I see things that need to be fixed, I will not wait for somebody else to do it I'm I'm mad I'm completely bonkers right <laughs> but and I don't think about the necessary consequences of you know or of my actually just I am driven and I remember at the time just you know, doing some research into sort of, you know, emergency um, frontline services, where the police have been, what well, we don't have that anymore, who's filled that role, frontline private security, God, what's that security like? Oh my God, scratch beneath the surface. We are in trouble. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in 2021, we had the census as well, which basically said 51% of the population looks like me. And it was like, come on now, you know, what is going on? And I just remember thinking, well, I'm going to show them. (laughs) Literally, it was like, (laughs) I I just don't know what else to do. I'm just going to go off and I'm going to show them what we need in those roles. So off I went and got myself qualified as a door supervisor. And then whilst I did that, I recognised that I needed to, that wasn't enough, because at that point I was starting to... Recognized that I needed to speak to women and I needed to do something. And this is when the idea of the recruitment company and I don't know anything about recruitment, by the way. This is the two industry sectors that I decided to embark upon. I knew nothing about, but I am a fast learner, and I and I and I did it. And I and I got qualified. And then I worked the doors in Brighton and Hove for over a year and a half. And I had hundreds of conversations with people in the job, venue owners, paramedics, police you name it, about what the hell is going on in this industry and having that conversation about safeguarding in this in, in, in our society and safeguarding in security and what the disconnect is and the fact that we need people in the roles of frontline security reflecting the communities in which we serve and there was a huge chasm. And that we needed to do something about it. And if we didn't do anything about it now, I wasn't prepared to be waiting another 20 20 years for the industry to sort itself out. I was going to have a conversation with it. And
0: and (laughs) and it has, you know, and I know there's some, some great people in the industry, but the whole, you know, door supervisor industry has a very, very bad reputation. Um, But I'm so impressed that not only did you go and get qualified, but you then actually Mm. stood on the door, you know, you went and did it. I mean, I mean, talk about immersing yourself into, into what's going on. And then is that where second line of defense came from? You went, okay, this is what I've seen. This is what I've learned. I can make a difference. And so you just decided to become, you know, <laughs> you know, a recruitment agency specializing in, in that front line. as you do, this isn't good enough. So I'm going to, I can either complain or I can do something about it. And you decided to do something about it in a big way yeah and the
1: interesting thing is is that you know my purpose and i i have i've admitted to myself my purpose is to try and bring about transformational change and i say that word i do not say it lightly because that is what i am here to do and i want to bring people along with me and it's about saying to the industry you've had 20 years you've messed it up but all right let's not let's not beat each other up about it let's do let's do right mm-hmm. by the people in the industry, the general public, you know, just let's just do right, mate, let's get it right. So let's have the conversation. So I was armed with like nearly two years worth of anecdotal information that I was just like, I need to talk to someone about this. And I was determined to, but no one knew me. No one knew me. On the 1st of January, 2023, no one in this industry knew who I was. And just like I said to you before, that that time at ITV and that, my ability to bring people together for voices to be heard and for me to be an instrumental part of that. That's when I drew on that. I was like, come on, put your big, big girl pants on now. You're about to embark on something that you, this isn't a whole nother, you know. And I did, and I remember turning up, just turning up to networking events that I was seeing on LinkedIn. I would see the sort of movers and shakers in LinkedIn and try and engage with them in that way. And then I remember poor old Michelle Russell, I, I I went to an event on uh, in International Women's Day week um, at Spotify in London, and somebody told me that the regulator was sitting yeah. in the front of I was like, right, in the break, I'm going to have a conversation, and off I trotted and I kind of went on, hello, and I said, my name is Lisa Bascott, you don't know me, but I've got a few things that I want to say, and this poor Michelle sort of looking at me going, who is this crazy woman? But it was the best thing I ever did and the best conversation I ever had because it started something amazing basically, which is my journey um, within this industry, having this conversation with people who also believe and want change. And maybe in me found a, a conduit mm. to to help them fast forward that, that process, you know, um, I didn't have any ties. Maybe people found that quite quite endearing. I wasn't part of a big 20 firm. I wasn't part of the regulator. I was just a mum, you Mm. know, and it was personal, right? Mm. And I was basically saying to all these people, apart from the role that you do within this industry, you're potentially a mother, a sister, a brother, an uncle, an aunt, a godmother. And you cannot believe that what is happening on your watch in your industry is Mm. acceptable and we've got to do something about it. And so that's all I've been doing this year is having those conversations with everyone and anyone who wants to talk to me.
0: And and I have to ask, you know, it is a very, it's got some traditional stereotypes in it. You know, are you finding, you know, are people actually receptive? When you say, you know, diversity is important, do they just go, yes, it is, and then do the same? Or do you actually feel as if, you know you're turning the screw a little bit are you getting some traction
1: I, I definitely think that it's really interesting because i think uh, you know in 11 months
0: i have I, I
1: have witnessed some change in an industry in an industry sector that is like you know it's like a super tanker right they've just always done things the way that they've done things but everybody in the industry knows that edi and i is 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 on the table for good now it for a long time i thought it was i know it was a tick box agenda item but I've been ramming it down their throats that they've got to get over that pretty quickly. Um, And that, you know, they are going to become irrelevant, right, in the industry that they, they operate in if they don't take measures. And what I've seen massively is that collaboration, and I'm not putting it just down to me, but I definitely would like to think that my voice in the last 11 months in this industry no military background, no police background, no security background, just a woman with concerns prepared to put herself out there and have the conversation, I think has inspired people. And I have seen in the last three or four months at events, certain people that just were not having conversations with each other before, now getting together, now collaborating. And I just think that I'm hoping and praying that this is going to continue. I, for one, will ensure that my role in this industry sector is to ensure that I'm pushing that dial in the right direction and making sure that people, that we speak with one voice on the big issues that matter, stop doing things in silos, you know, the industry, the general public, we need to, they need to see that we are moving with one voice in the same direction. And I think for me, 2024 is all about getting that right. Um, And... Essentially, in the last 18 months, I have curated an event that addresses that, that I want to take nationally around the country to every major city as a framework in which to start those conversations, because systemic change in this industry will only happen if we have this conversation simultaneously, right? The same conversations simultaneously Mm. moving in the right direction. So that's my, that's my ambition Mm. for 20. 24 to get this event out there to collaborate with the right people um i'm having conversations with a really my good friend michael kill who's the ceo of the nighttime industries association who is a phenomenal you know a tour de force Mm -hmm. and you know working with him and collaborating with um the, the you know big stakeholders to get this message out there because it is a collaborative measure we need to have this, it's collective responsibility, we can't wait for the person over there to do something about it, and we can't be the ones going, oh, this is rubbish, and not do anything about it, I feel really, really strongly about that.
0: It, it is interesting, I mean, you know, I, I would say so, anecdotally, you know, you I've started to notice more diversity among supervisors and, and door staff, and last weekend I went to the theatre with my wife, and then we went on to a uh, a, a cocktail bar afterwards and it was interesting that the usual you know big heavies if you like weren't on the door um but it made for a really more relaxed atmosphere this was a busy central london bar on a friday evening lots of people there um i i don't drink so i get a different perspective on on what people have to have to deal with um but there was a real mix and i even commented about i see you know I even on the way out i said you know thanks very much they did a great job even asking people to leave. so it's not just the right thing to do, but it seems to provide a better experience for everybody as well. so it's a bit like why wouldn't you go down this exactly
1: this route? it's it's just good for business and we've mm-hmm. seen all the you know we've seen all the you know the 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 the, the surveys and the stats on this you know 30 percent more creative, more productive, and more on your bottom line mm-hmm. as a diverse organization why wouldn't you do it
0: yeah.
1: why wouldn't you do it
0: so i've got to ask you a question um and i know there's other things and you know you've recently joined the board of safer business network we've had hannah wadey on the podcast as well and they do some great work but you sit down at your desk in a morning if you have your morning coffee same as me what on earth does your day look like i mean you know you've got 47 inboxes for 47 different projects that you're doing i mean I assume you've got a team of, you know, a hundred people behind you just out of you making all of this happen because you can't do this all on your own, surely. I mean, what does a day look like for, for you? And I know before we came on air, you're leaving this and you're jumping on a train. No, but, but talk to me about a day.
1: A day. It It can be. There is. It starts early. I mean, I don't sleep much anyway, uh, a bit of an insomnia, but it starts at about 5.15 when I wake up and I very quickly in the first sort of six months of doing what I was doing, my personal well-being and health was deteriorating and because I was taking everything on board and still finding my way and not having necessarily made all the right kind of connections that I needed to help me and partner with me. So it took a toll on me and I and my friends were worried about me and I I, I made a promise to myself that, that that can't go on, you know, for the sake of my children apart from anything else. So I now get up in the morning and I go and uh, have a HIT class which is like torture but mm-hmm. great. So I go to a six o'clock in the morning HIT class and 45 minutes later I'm done. And I feel quite energized, and I come back, get myself together, and I sit at my desk. And it will either be, first and foremost, it will be catching up with emails. And then it will, there will generally be in a working week, there will be at least two trips to London for maybe three or four events. Uh, today, funny enough, I'm going to meet Hannah Wadey for lunch. <laughs> That's what the train journey is. And we're going to talk about stuff that we want to do um, for next year with Safer Business Network, which I'm really excited about. Um, it will include conversations, I am constantly reaching out to networks of people to talk about the journey that I'm on, because this journey, whilst it is specific for me to the frontline industry, there are so many aspects of it that affect everybody's daily life, right, so these are conversations that I'm having with people like, you know, you and me, parents, you know, schools, um, talking to universities, um, talking to network groups, female network groups, you name it, I will have a conversation about what it is I'm trying to do because essentially I want to bring those people with me on this journey. I want them to have a voice. I want them to get involved. I mean, Christ, we've got an election coming up in the next, next 12 years. You want to feel relevant if you want your voice, heard, now is the time basically to do it. And I want people to get engaged again we talk about community I talked about that at the beginning it all boils down to that for me it's about remembering that that framework in society is there for a reason you know it's that thing that go to when all else fails that you can rely upon that self of that sense of um, identity shared responsibility you name it that's what we need to remember and fall back on and it's about trying to get people excited about what that means because that will help us overcome so many of those barriers that we're facing you know those challenges that we're facing today both economically and in in terms of what's happened in society you know increased risk of you know violence on high street doors you know shop workers being abused women you know being assaulted you know we got to we do not want to live in a world where that sort of stuff happens and the only way it's going to stop is if we do something about it so yeah so every conversation I have is around that it's around garnering support building consensus and, and alliances around these really big core issues that I affect. I think affects everyone
0: And and a final question and I know <laughs> I know you'll already be plotting this because you're that type of person. What's the one thing in the future that you've not yet started that I know full well will have a plan on the side of your desk? It'll be festering in your mind. There'll be a, a, a an itch that you're trying to scratch. So what's the, what's the what's what's the next one to add to that long list of things that uh, that Lisa does? And my
1: personal challenge to myself is to take my training to the next level. So I want to go and do um, the close protection training course. And and again, specifically because we think the numbers in frontline security are bad. Well, we adri- put that to a frontline secu- uh, um, close protection officer and they dwindle down to about 4%. And I think there are so, again, what women can bring to that role, I think, is... is extraordinary so I want to as I say I walk the walk and talk the talk and that is going to be a challenge but that that's the next thing on the horizon for me I hope to get that done in 2024. I knew
0: there'd be something big <laughs> and huge it's just who you are um Lisa thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today um utterly fascinating every element of the things that you do is worthy of a podcast and an extended chat on its own so to run through all of that Uh, today has been brilliant I wish you every success I have no doubt whatsoever that you'll continue to achieve all of those goals and more as well but for now thank you very much indeed
1: thank you very much we'll have a great day take care